and welcome to the Bring Me My Books podcast. I'm Christy Kane, and I'm here with my co-host, Travis Lowe. And Travis, we have been digging into a hole in the world, but just as we normally do before we get into it with you guys, with, with our listeners, we've got to talk about what the Bring Me My Books name and where it's from. It's from 2 Timothy Yep, chapter 4, verse 13. Right, which says, not just bring me my books, but bring me my... Cloak. Okay, so I think it's one of the fun things that you and I have been talking about is what are the other things that are important? So we talked about Paul needed his cloak, and that was brought comfort to him. It brought warmth to him. And so um, so we know we love books, or we wouldn't be doing a books podcast. But uh, but what do you have a, a cloak that's yeah. important to you right now? Um, I was thinking about that, and uh, as uh, simple as it sounds, but just um, this is really just like my second winter in Oklahoma. Oh, okay. And it's way colder than <laughs> Appalachia ever was, and it's the wind. Uh, but putting on a big heavy coat uh-huh. when you go out and having something that you can wrap up in, and uh, it, I, I think of that like I couldn't imagine um, – you know, not having that or being in a place where I was cold and not having something that I could reach to, not having the closet that I could go to. Uh, but for me right now, it's to have that big heavy coat, coat that I can just put on and it just it just warms you up. Yeah, I think that's funny because you and I both lived in places that are you think of them as being very cold. The mountains, I always think of being very cold. I lived in Chicago, but <laughs> honestly, I mean, that windy city, it is, I think Oklahoma City it's is crazy. the windy city. Yeah, so, crazy. so we, yeah, that's we both live there. We know that cold. Um, I think my cloak through the winter is um, candle, like fire. I would just say fire um, is candles. Uh, if it's warm enough outside a fire pit, uh, some of the, my favorite conversations happen there. But there's just something really comforting about even reading next to a candle since we're talking about books yeah. and, and we're in the winter month. So, so there we go. Those yeah, are our cloaks. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so let's jump into chapters five through eight of A Hole in the World. So I hope you've been reading along with us. I mean, I I think we have to give a little bit of a disclaimer. There's going to be definite spoilers. So if you haven't finished five through eight, and we're going to jump around a little bit today. We're, right. we're going to talk about some of our favorite moments first. And so if you haven't read it, if you're all the, not all the way through chapter eight, we'd say pause, but you know, <laughs> yellow light, um, go finish the section and then come back. And, yeah, yeah, and it could be a little confusing because uh, yeah. we're not really going to go into detail and explain everything because we're hoping that you're reading along with yeah. us. And we challenge you to read along with us. This book is so it good. Is. It's worth it. It's worth the time. It's worth the investment. It is, and I think I think is one that we keep saying. It, if you're going to encounter grief, you're going to encounter it yourself, but you're also going to encounter people that you love who are encountering it grief. And so it really does such a helpful, practical, encouraging, but honest book about grief. So if you haven't dug in yet, just go ahead. All right. So speaking of that, chapters five through eight, um, what, what's something that you've really loved from this section? Let's see. So, um, one thing that we mentioned is that a lot of these are more familiar to us than Mm -hmm. some of the other, uh, chapters. So you have, uh, the chapter titles, casseroles, uh, Postmortem photography, sympathy cards, wearing black. So a few of those we uh, still carry on. Um, the casseroles kind of stood out to me where she was saying that um, she recognized that just eating 
-hmm. is sometimes the first step out of the valley of the shadow of death. Mm -hmm. And it's something that's so simple. She said it's one of those things that we have to do, but it's it's one of the things we have to do, but it also brings us comfort. Yeah. Um, you know, being able to sit down to a good meal. Just mm-hmm. last night I had a good friend uh, make homemade pasta. Nice. And we sat around the table and we ate and just what uh, joy that brings. But it also just brings the physical sustenance that we have to have to survive. Yeah. Uh, anything that you've made it through, you ate while you were making it through that's it. That's true. Yeah. Otherwise, you wouldn't have made it, you know. So mm-hmm. um, she talks about so many places in Scripture. I thought it was uh, really neat where uh, that's the first thing that you see. She said the act of eating seems to be the first step in a person's emergence from the valley of the shadow of death. After Jesus raised uh, Jairus's daughter from the dead, he immediately instructed those attending her, give her something to eat. Mm. Poor Eutychus when he fell from his death <laughs> during Paul's long sermon. Um when he was raised from the dead, straight away headed back upstairs to share a meal with fellow believers. It was only after Jesus had provided a net full of fish and cooked up a savory breakfast on the shore that the disciples even recognized the resurrected Lord. The sharing of a meal together was the first act of true fellowship and communion they experienced with Jesus after that gruesome and traumatic day at the cross. Mm -hmm. I think that's so good. And you even mentioned another uh, story in the Bible that came to mind. Yeah. Well, Elijah is one of my favorite Bible. I don't like the word characters because it almost sounds like he wasn't real, but people from scripture. And uh, there's this, there's this moment. It's one of my favorite stories. And I like that because I like some of the sarcasm that happens in it. But (laughs) Elijah's kind of had this um, face off with some of these, the pagans and they're kind of challenging each other, which, whose God is real. And the, the pagan gods, they try to get their God to, to light fire. So I was talking about, I guess fire is a theme for today, right. um, to light fire. And they, they try and try and try. And Elijah's making fun of them, you know, like maybe, you know, maybe they're asleep, whatever. And so <laughs> in the end, Elijah's God, the, the real God, he does actually light the altar miraculously with fire. And so Elijah gets to kind of prove my God is the real God in a very public way. And I think you look at that story and you think, man, he must have just been on a high. He was right in front of all these people. (laughs) But what we find is right after that, Elijah kind of wanders into the wilderness and he hits his low He's exhausted. He's depressed. It says he doesn't even want to go on anymore. He doesn't want to live. And um, what's interesting to me is when you look at God's response to Elijah in this case, is it's not condemnation. It's not, didn't. why don't you have enough faith? It's not any of that. He sends angels to take care of Elijah's body. He just yeah. does physically. He's like, feed him provide him the sleep that he needs. And I, it's just a really, it's a good reminder that God has made us to be these whole people. And one of the things that we need is just sustenance. And, uh, and I think we even see the importance of food and all that. Like you mentioned, I think you just read Christ's feasts um, and in the hard times, the times right before his death. And then again, we, we see feasts in scripture and yeah. how important food is. So, yeah, so that, that is, I, I love that emphasis on our bodies. Yeah. So how about yourself? My favorite? Oh, um, I think 
The, the last two chapters in this section, the sympathy cards and the wearing black, were, were probably my two favorites of this. Um, and I think one of the reasons is because I have, with sympathy cards in particular, I'll point that one out. I have, I remember times where I really didn't know what to say to people, oh, yeah. you know, and probably one of my biggest ministry failures in the moment that kind of haunts me is I was working with in college ministry and I, I was right out of college myself and had gone into this working in residence life and things like that. And, um, one of the female students lost her mom in a car accident very suddenly. And I had had, I'd had no training in grief. I had, I've had in a lot of ways, very much like Amanda's life. I was raised, I had a very easy life. Yeah. I had not encountered a lot of death. Um, and I get the call and like I said, I'm in ministry and I don't know this girl really very well at all, but they called to tell me and I had I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. And so honestly, I did almost nothing. Right. And I didn't even, I didn't even go to her. And, and I, like, and so now I look at that and I think I could have, we've talked about presence in the last one. I could have just gone and sat right. with her, but because I didn't have the words, I did nothing. And, um, and I think this chapter was really helpful for me to kind of give us some guidance because even though the presence is the most important there are things that we can say and and just to get back to this book i mean in particular on page 123 that he talks about um she well she talks about how she was she was talking with um with someone who was very helpful to her and how he listened to her and his he gave one phrase and he says god will help you and that's all. And she goes on to say it wasn't a theological treatise. It wasn't an explanation of what happened or why it happened. It wasn't a promise that everything was going to be okay. It was a simple offering of wisdom coming from a man who had seen his fair share of suffering. Um, and I think it's just a reminder that sometimes what people need to hear the most from us is just those small words of that really in some ways signal I've been there. God will be with you. I don't know how God will be right. with you. I'm not going to tell you that you're going to feel happy tomorrow, that you're going to have the answer tomorrow, but I know that God will be with you. And so, yeah, I think that was yeah. probably because of some of my own experiences. This was just a really meaningful chapter. She points out that um, in the last few years, people have pointed out a lot of unhelpful things that we say. Yes. You know. <laughs> But she said that she's afraid that what that's made us do is kind of like what you said. We almost do nothing because yeah. we don't want to say the wrong mm -hmm. thing. And I loved, she said, to be honest, this is on 127. Sometimes the grieved just want words, mm. imperfect though they may be. And then she says further down, to me, you can say almost anything. And as long as it's said in kindness, I can receive it as an offering of love. Yeah. And I think that that... I think that she's being so transparent here and being so honest mm -hmm. because sometimes we do look back and we say, well, you know, I don't know how that would have came across or I don't know how this would have came across, but my goodness, you were there, mm -hmm. you know, and you, you said it and, mm -hmm. and you said it out of love and you said it out of kindness. And I'm, yeah. I'm just thankful that somebody was there yeah. and I'm thankful that somebody said something mm -hmm. and I'm thankful that somebody, even though they're imperfect, they tried. Yeah. Um, yeah. cause I don't know that we can ever say the right thing. That's true. 
you know. Yeah. Um, but that was that really stood out to me. Say something. Be there. Don't check out yeah. in these moments of life. Uh -huh. um, don't let your insecurities get the best of you so that you don't love. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, um, when we come back, I want us to finish talking about these, these four chapters. But in the meantime, we've just got a brief word from some of the sponsors that, that mean a lot to us and they support us. And so we hope that you'll enjoy what they have to say. Situated in Bluefield, West Virginia, the Hopewards Writers Conference seeks to equip and encourage their patrons to tell stories of hope. This year's conference will focus on the question of living between cultures and the unique potential it holds for creativity. The conference will offer many exciting guest author speakers this year and can't wait to learn what God has been speaking into their lives. Come with us and help us tell stories of hope. LifeSprings Resources is committed to providing innovative learning resources for the local church. Our products reflect our commitment to the development of new and innovative ways to experience scriptural truth. Whether you're looking for material for your small group, need new curriculum for Sunday school, or you're just trying to stock up on church supplies, we've got you covered. Look for us online at LifeSpringsResources.com or call us at one 800 541 1376 and our friendly customer service team will be happy to assist you. Welcome back to Bring Me My Books. Travis, we've been talking about chapters five through eight in A Hole in the World. This is our, our current read and in our reading club, our book club. And, uh, and we talked about the first, the first uh, before the break, a couple of the chapters that we really loved. And, uh, and I want to put out there, we want to hear what you guys yes. love too, the things that, that stand out to you. One of the things we talked about during break, which we probably won't talk about now is, um, or maybe, I don't know, maybe we could share it on social media. Of these four, which one was our favorite and which was our least favorite? And, and some of that has to do with kind of the experiences we walked through and so we definitely want to hear from you. So what's your favorite from chapters four or five through eight? And it kind of sounds weird to say favorite in a book about grief, but maybe <laughs> what's most meaningful to you. So, okay. So what from the, maybe the chapters that we haven't talked about at all yet, what's something that stood out to you? Yeah. So in this section, we talked that several of these are ones that we uh, still do on a regular basis, but there is the chapter on postmortem photography, which <laughs> is definitely uh, you don't see as much right. uh, nowadays, but there was a portion in it where she's kind of talking about memory, and mm -hmm. we want to. Uh, she mentions the afterlife in um, the Old Testament in Jewish religion uh, was this idea of Sheol, of um, in one place it's translated this place of forgetfulness, a place of oblivion. Your um, and and really back then one of the things that they were scared of was that. You wanted to have kids so that you would your family would be remembered. You didn't want your your family line to pass away and be forgotten. Mm -hmm. And um, she says that that's kind of one of the fears that all of us carry is that we could be forgotten. And then on page uh, one hundred eight, um, she's saying that one of the things that we know is that all human beings, no matter their status, sin 
skin color, virtues, vices, or length of, length of life bear the Imago Dei. They are marked by his likeness stamped with his image. That image transcends any image we seek to put out into the world, any legacy we want to live, leave behind, any effigy that someone would falsely or mistakenly fashion of us. We are loved by God not because we are good or important or deserving or heroic, but because we are his. Mm -hmm. To simply exist is a miracle. And so she's saying that we all bear the mark of God. But then she quotes Isaiah 49 and verse 16 says, See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. And then she says, We all bear the mark of God. And according to this passage, God bears the mark of us. Yeah. How incredible is that to think that God engraves on the palm of his hand mm -hmm. me and you. And that God forever yeah. bears the mark of us. Uh, that, I just think that was so incredible. I think it's awesome to think that we'll never be forgotten. Mm -hmm. You know, God will remember us. He's, he is marked by us. And um, I just think that's so beautiful. It is. And, and I, think it's, I think it's one of those things that sometimes is hard to believe. And it's you know, that, that he, we really aren't forgotten. That, he, yeah. that he, we are constantly on his mind, that he has marked us on his hands. He Can I tell this uh, yeah. story? I, I wasn't planning on sharing this. Uh, the, John Swinton is a uh, writer from um, Ireland, Scotland. Um, he's a theology professor, and he's a uh, registered nurse that works in an Alzheimer's clinic. Really? That's an interesting yeah. mix. And he said that there was a lady in the clinic that... Um, was kind of hateful. She would walk around and she just kind of mumbled under her breath. And if you got in her way, if you tried to talk to her, she just pushes you off. She was real closed off. And he said one day he was near her and he was listening to her mumble and you couldn't really understand what she was saying. And he said he finally kind of recognized that she was saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And he said he, he just thought that was really wild and he he wanted to find out, is that, is that what she's saying? And she's in the depths of Alzheimer's. And he said he went up to her and he said, are you, are you saying Jesus? Mm -hmm. And he said that she just said, Jesus, Jesus. Hmm. And he said, it was like God just kind of dropped it in his uh, spirit. He said, are you afraid that you'll forget Jesus? And he said that she just started crying. Oh my goodness. And that in the... Depths of Alzheimer's, she knew she was losing her memory, that she had just taken on this practice of just saying Jesus over and over because she never wanted to forget him. Mm. And he said in that moment that he just like took her hands and he said, it's okay if you forget Jesus. He said, Jesus will never forget you. Mm. And know. he said that she just cried. And after that, that she had just calmed and she was at peace. And he said that she lived there in peace. And he said she had probably forgotten Jesus. Yeah. She said, he said, but the truth is for all of us that we're not, you know, it's not dependent on what we know or what we remember. Right. Yeah. It's dependent on what he knows and what he remembers and he'll never forget us. Yeah. I I'm, I'm, can't believe that you almost didn't tell that story. That's, <laughs> that's really, that's powerful. Just a reminder that it, yeah, it's not up to us. And I'm so glad it's not. Yeah. So. That's good. I, I don't know that anything else I would say would, would, sound, would sound great after that. 
Um, but I think if, if I was going to point out something, and there are some really beautiful moments in the Wearing Black chapter, the, oh, the last chapter. Um, so good. I, I think I kind of want to go back to that story, what you said in just a minute yeah. before I end. But um, before I get to that point, you know, wearing black, I grew up in the South. And um, I remember my mom saying, we don't, um, like she, it was, it was that time period where she had grown up where you would wear black, but culture was kind of moving away from that. And she almost felt like that we would draw attention to ourselves. Like we were trying to be like super grievers if we did wear black. So you should wear something dark and simple, but not black. And it, because, and that just, I think demonstrates the strangeness kind of of all these rituals that surround grief and what, you know, the, what you're supposed to do and and how we're losing them in the process anyway. But I wish, I, I, I think I'm really with Amanda in the sense that this is the, this is the ritual that I wish we would just like, don't lose it, hold right. on to it. And on page 140, she says, the bottom of all the rituals I've studied wearing black is perhaps the one I most wish we would bring back. I like to think that at its core, mourning dress is simply an outward expression of internal sorrow. Oh, this is the key part for me. A way of making yourself as bereft so that the world will know there is a deep, deep ache inside of you. And I think it's because I don't like, and I guess I think it's true of most of us. I don't want to have to use my words to tell people when I'm hurting or when I'm sad, it's uncomfortable. It, it, there's shame. She talks about in various places of the book, like the shame that's involved in grief. It's hard to talk about. And, um, and she just wishes there's something that you could do. That's like a sign that says, I'm having a hard time right now. Like this is, this is a bad season for me. So give me some extra grace or understand why I might well, well, my eyes might well up with tears or things like that. And so I so identified with that, like, could we just wear, could we just do something? Could we just wear something? And so, um, I loved that. I loved the chapter just again, because it connected with me, but, um, kind of the last thing I wanted to say before coming back around um, to being marked and to us being marked by God and then him being marked by us just this is a way that I just continue to see her give hope in something that could be a very dark topic without Christ the very end of this chapter and I do have I know we read a lot of her book but I think it's I think it's good and and I want to read this last couple the last three sentences, I think, three or four sentences. The very end, maybe then we will all look death in the eye and point proudly to our battle marks. Mm-hmm. With the same triumph of Christ, we will say, hey, death. I just like, and I, like, I want to say, hey, death, yes. look what you did. But guess what? You did not win. And I just oh, love yeah. that. And I think, even when I think about this lady that was, that finally forgot Jesus, like it didn't matter. Like right. death didn't win because no. she forgot. Death death didn't win because Christ wins. Yeah. And, um, and I just, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I love that. I think of a uh, quote, Jürgen Moltmann says that if uh, death is our final enemy, then you can turn it around to we're death's final enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, and yes. he says hope is death's final enemy and hope's going to win. Yes. 
death's like going to lose to the enemy of hope. Yeah. And he says that hope, you know, it. I, I think it's important for us to recognize it, we enjoy this book, but we also realize that as we read it, I mean, I read this book, a lot of this book with tears in my eyes, and mm-hmm. it brought up tough things, and I think we need to acknowledge that. And I, I know that there's people that are listening, watching, that are going through grief, and um, it, we want to do what we can to to give you that space. We want to do what we can to... Uh, to be with you in this mm-hmm. um, and to walk with people. Um, and, and I just pray that, um, that, you're, that you're finding hope, yeah. that you're finding healing. Uh, we were talking, there's a place in the book where she said she got upset when they sang the song that said, Oh, death, where is your sting? And she said, I know where his sting is. But she said then she was able to come back around and say this, Death, you did not win. Right. So yeah, and then you know it's almost it's almost your mocking death at that yeah. point. Yeah, where's your sting? Yeah, yeah. You know, and and I think that that's what we need to uh, to recognize is that that um, that life wins. Yeah. That God wins. Mm-hmm. That hope wins. Yeah. Uh, death is defeated. Yeah, and then you can wear those things simultaneously. Yes. You can be, we are in the here and now. We're kind of in this in-between space, and we we can feel the agony like in the keening. We can feel the anguish. We can express the anguish while alongside we know that this is not the end. And we live in the tension of both of those things, and I think that's I thought that was great. She said one time that, um, it isn't that we well to get to the place of the hope. No, they go hand in hand. They're the they're yeah. the same thing, and we can well and hope. Yes. And and it's not like we're trying to do this to get to a different place. No, let's. Yeah. This is where we are. Right. And, and let's well and hope, and let's let's cover mirrors and <laughs> believe for the best. Let's do all of these things. Yeah. And at the same time, and she said that was people would say, "How are you feeling?" And she'd say, "Oh, I'm okay." And I'm terrible. Yeah. Like, like I'm both yeah. things yeah. right now. And I think um, we should say that more often. Yeah. And the Frederick Bigner quote that she uh, quoted, um, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but it says, this is the world. Beautiful and terrible things happen. Mm-hmm. Do yes. not fear. Yes. Love that. And yeah. I think that's a great place. I think that's a great place to end. So we hope that you're reading along with us. And if you aren't, maybe this conversation has inspired you to do so. You can find reading challenges or or the reading challenge and the schedule and additional resources on our social media pages for Bring Me My Books. But until next time, we've got one more segment to go for this book. Not not really (laughs) for this book. So we hope that you'll join us again then. (laughs) 